Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among the poor people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of Jesus' name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world firmly established, it cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, the earth be glad, the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all the creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He judged, He comes to judge the earth. He will. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. Paying the imperial tax to Caesar, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with their Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought the denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Then they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of our hearts and minds be ever acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are going to be those occasions in life where we are asked questions that there is seemingly no correct reply. Uh, in fact, marriages are quite often littered with those kinds of questions, and maybe one of the clearest examples of that is the dreaded, does my bum look big in this? To be honest with you, I've stopped asking my wife that question. She, she, she gets fed up each time I do it. How do you respond to the seemingly impossible question? Politicians seem to have worked this out. Either you distract the person asking the question, or you offer them a different question, one that you maybe know the answer to. That's a good question, but a better one would be. The question that the Pharisees uh, posed to Jesus in our reading for today, it's a legitimate question. Should we be paying uh, taxes? And the crowd themselves are probably asking the very same question. 
especially because Roman taxes were so severe that they plunged the average person into a life of poverty and hunger. But the seemingly benign aspect of the question hides a, a serious other issue. The Pharisees are setting up the question as a trap for Jesus. Is he on the side of law and order, advocating obedience to a loathed occupation force? If so, then he's going to lose the support of the crowd. Or is Jesus somebody who advocates dissent, denying the Romans any legitimacy? And if so, then by his own mouth he is incriminating himself for potential sedition. But Jesus is wise to their games and exposes the Pharisees for the hypocrites that they are. He's not going to let them get away with pretending to really care about what he thinks about taxation. He knows that they want to humiliate him publicly and so in turn he shoots them down in flames. How does he respond to the seemingly impossible question, a mixture of distraction and offering them a different question. He asks for a coin. Note he doesn't have a coin himself, maybe because he is faithful. Coins that the Romans offered were considered idolatrous because they had the image of the emperor on them. They were the enemy's money, a brutal enemy. Jesus effectively was an exile in his own land and therefore such money was deemed as idolatrous under the law but also a symbol of collusion with the state. Indeed, it was one of the issues why the money lenders were in the temple itself seeing as idolatrous money, those with a foreign image on them, could not be allowed into the temple precinct itself. People had to change their money to something deemed as pure before they actually entered into the forecourt. And this was part of the corruption that Jesus himself had challenged earlier on in Matthew's Gospel when he overturned the money lenders' tables. Jesus offers a clever but simple response. Of course, the people have no choice but to pay the Roman taxes, however distasteful that might be. But the people's first loyalty was to God. And that was something that the Pharisees were trying to complicate. But Jesus makes it perfectly simple. Give to God that which is God's, and give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. Had Herod or any of the other collaborators been there themselves, they could not have disputed his answer. The coin was minted and issued by Caesar, and in simple terms, therefore, it technically belonged to him. So therefore, the citizens of Rome should pay what they owe. But Jesus notes that all things belong to God. And we should ultimately give ourselves back to God as a way of paying what we owe for the freedom that God gives to us. We should pay back that which we owe to a God whose life and love 
offer us so much. The emperor has the right to demand taxes, but he does not have the right for recognition as a divine being, even though on Roman coins they often referred to the emperor as Lord. Jesus was, understand, was understood to be saying that worship belongs to God alone. But not just worship. Everything belongs to God. How do we hold on to our integrity when there are seemingly evil and immoral things happening around us? And it's no easier now, 2,000 years on, than it was back in the time of Christ. In what circumstances today might a Christian legitimately resist the demands of the state? Or maybe when the state pursues immoral and illegal acts, when it incarcerates refugee children away from their parents, when it espouses dog whistle racist rhetoric, when it incites people into a fear of the rule of law, and when by its language it endorses attacks on lawyers, when it illegally restricts the workings of parliamentary democracy to prevent any scrutiny, when it assaults and sends troops against members of the clergy so that photo opportunities can happen outside of churches. When the state breaks the line, then it deserves no obedience and no cooperation from those who hold a higher allegiance. Can the person of faith remain silent? Can the person of conscience continue to vote for or collude with immorality and injustice? How are we to respond to the political challenges of our day? Jesus' seemingly ambiguous response could not actually be any clearer. Whenever the Caesars of our world aspire to be divine or claim to be divine, we need to remember that they are not. They are still merely human and still subject ultimately to God. People have over the centuries tried to argue for a separation of church and state, that the church has no legitimate right to talk in the sphere of politics, as if God can somehow be removed from issues of justice, freedom, healthcare, education, access to housing and food and so on. But the church does have the right to speak in those spheres because they are the things of God as much as they are the things of man. So, offer to those who have messiah complexes, those who wield power for their own ends, those who aspire for money merely to beget more money or power merely to beget more power, Grant them no more loyalty and obedience than they deserve.
In other words, give nothing except for defiance, for contempt for their aggression, their corruption, and their injustice. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, says the man who himself will not even carry a coin by the Romans. Remove yourselves entirely from that which is dishonest and contemptible before God. Do not collude with that which you know to be wrong. I guess it comes down to the question of where do your priorities lie? Do your priorities ultimately lie with those who cause misery and depression because either you're too frightened to speak out or because actually you benefit a little bit in the process? Or does your priorities lie with the Lord who brings healing, hope and peace? Who is on the Lord's side and who will serve the King? Who will be his helpers, others' lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By the call of mercy, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Saviour, we are thine. Chosen to be soldiers in an alien land, chosen, called and faithful for our captain's band. In the service royal, let us not grow cold, let us be right loyal, noble, true and bold. Master, wilt thou keep us by thy grace divine, always on the Lord's side, Saviour, always thine. Offer to those who are in contempt your contempt. But to God, offer nothing less than what God's love deserves. Love so amazing, so divine, demands our souls, our lives, our will. Amen.